0: Ruth, chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now Bowers, with whose women have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best, best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are, you? Who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian-redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian-redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured in into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today.
1: Great. Well, thanks, Laura. Um, we're in uh, our third in our uh, series in, uh, in Ruth, uh, of the Old Testament, and so we're going to pray together. Uh, it's a great st- uh, story, and we're going to pray and, and listen to our Heavenly Father as He speaks to us uh, through, uh, through, the, through the book of Ruth. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this evening, uh, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see the Lord Jesus. We want to see His character more clearly. We want our hearts to love Him more and more deeply. Please, we open our eyes so that He grows bigger in our sights? And enable us as a church to love him more, and worship him more, and serve him more. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So living as a Christian has many blessings and benefits. So to name but a few, we are adopted in God's heavenly family, and that's a great privilege. We're forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. And when we die, we have the real hope uh, of being with our Heavenly Father in a perfect world forever. No more death, no more crying, no more mourning. And that, that is really good news, isn't it? That is great news to look forward to. But living as a Christian isn't plain sailing, is it? If you're a Christian, you know that already. If you're looking into Christianity, then it's worth knowing that being a Christian doesn't take away all the problems even though it might look like that from the outside it doesn't take them all away sometimes it adds to the problems christians can go through dark times in their lives and they wonder why they're going through them and god doesn't seem to be doing much to correct them so christians um, can go through dark times it could be a marriage that started well but the cracks begin to show It could be a morale-sapping period of prolonged unemployment, which is definitely not fun employment. It could be having to go to face a boring, repetitive job day after day that grinds you down. Or it could be seeing the health of someone we dearly love just decline slowly and we just can't do anything about it. And in those dark times, when, when life is hard and faith is stretched, it can be very hard to trust the Lord Jesus, can't it? It's very hard indeed. And I know some of you here, don't know all of you, but I know that there are situations here uh, in the church that make people, are finding, make people uh, here in the church find it hard to trust in the Lord Jesus. Um, and that it stretches the, their faith. So how do we trust the Lord Jesus when we go through dark times? How do we do it? You know, those dark times test and stretch our faith. How, what does a godly response look like to those dark times? I'm going to find out the answer as we look into the lives of two Israelite women in chapter 3. So first of all, trusting Jesus involves action, verses 1 to 5. So you haven't been with us, uh, the story so far is in the last two weeks, uh, let me remind you where we've got to. There's a famine in the Israelite town of Bethlehem and Naomi and her husband Elimelech moved from Israel and moved and relocated to Moab which was east uh, the eastern border of uh, Israel and there there was famine in Israel but there was food in Moab and it seemed like a great thing to do however Naomi's husband two sons died in Moab and so Naomi returned with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, to Bethlehem. And so that was chapter one. And chapter two, uh, Naomi and Ruth are living in Bethlehem, uh, but they're facing dire poverty. They are completely unable to work and earn money, to earn food. And in order to feed herself and her mother-in-law, Ruth goes out to pick up over the leftover grain in a field. And as it turns out, she picks a field belonging to Boaz. And Boaz is incredibly kind to Ruth. And she comes home with a huge amount of food. And as Ruth tells Naomi what happened, Naomi identifies Boaz as one of their family's guardian redeemers. And a guardian redeemer was someone back in that culture who was related to the family, who redeemed or or brought back uh, family members from desperate circumstances, i.e. like like poverty, like not being able to um, provide for yourself. And since Ruth met Boaz, Naomi's mind must have been working over time because Naomi's chief desire was to find Ruth a home, verse 1, where she'd be provided for. So in order to do that, she comes up with a plan. So it's the end of the harvest season, and she knows that Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So a threshing floor would normally be situated on a, on a hilltop, uh, so it could catch any wind, and winnowing was the process of just separating the grain from the straw by taking a pitchfork, throwing the grain in the air, Uh, the the lighter stalk would would blow away and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. It's just a separating process. So you get the grain and you don't get the stalk. You get the edible stuff, but not the inedible stuff. And Ruth was to get all dressed up. She would take a bath. Uh, She'd make herself uh, nice by putting on perfume. And she was to wait until nightfall and to stealthily go to the threshing room floor. And she'd remain hidden as the men ate and had a couple of beers at the end of a hard day's work of winnowing. And then when the men had settled down to sleep, uh, Ruth was to make a mental note of where Boaz lies down. And once all the men were snoring away, Ruth was to creep over to Boaz where she was sleeping and uncover his feet and lie down. Um, those words, uh, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, are full of ambiguity. So I'm not a Hebrew expert, but I t- I'm, I'm told that the Hebrew word for feet can also mean legs. So how much of Boaz's legs was Ruth going to, going to uncover? Was it like, you know, that much? Or that much? Or that much? Who knows? You know, it's a, it's a bit amb- ambiguous. In terms of where where Ruth was going to lie down... Uh, If that was Boaz, would she lie there? If that was his feast, would she lie there? Would she lie there? Would she lie there? Who knows? Hebrews are a bit ambiguous. It's fraught with sexual tension, um, what Naomi's trying uh, trying to do. And it's a deeply risky plan. I mean, if you put yourself in Ruth's position, it's a hugely risky plan. Uh, What a great idea, Naomi, sending Ruth off to a threshroom floor where the men have had a few beers and are are lying down. And, you know, you're the only woman there. What a great plan, Naomi. She she could have been taken advantage of. Boaz could have uh, rejected her. Or Boaz's self-control might have been overcome and they might have uh, done things they regretted. But Naomi has seen her family's guardian redeemer, Boaz. She knows, she knows his character. He, she knows that he could provide, uh, uh, Ruth and rede- provide for Ruth and redeem her from a lifetime of poverty by marrying her and providing a home for her. Once again, in that culture, women couldn't work. And so that's why they needed to, to, to marry. And so Naomi trusts this very human redeemer, Boaz, and that trust in redeemer means that no, actually plans. She makes, does, does things, she, she, she acts. Her faith is expressed in action. And as Christians, we have a redeemer who's far more trustworthy than Boaz, and our redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we walk the Christian life, we'll face circumstances that are dark and hard, and it'll test our faith. It'll be really difficult. And so trusting in Jesus doesn't mean being passive and thinking to ourselves, oh, poor me. Uh, i'm really i'm really finding things hard rather trusting uh, in jesus will involve us taking action based on what we know our lord jesus christ is like so in almost all circumstances maybe almost all apart from the most extreme dark times there are things that a christian can do uh, ways in which a christian can act that will show that, that they trust in the lord jesus for example if you are going through a hard time, then one way you can act, one way that your trust in Jesus can lead to action is maybe sharing that struggle with another Christian and asking them to pray with you, to pray for you, and to encourage you, maybe to give, them some, give you some advice. Because as we pray to our, our, our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus, then we know that the, the character of the Lord Jesus is always compassion, There are things that we can do that show that we trust in the Lord Jesus. And so trusting in Jesus involves action. Uh, Second, uh, trusting Jesus involves relying on his covenant promises. That's verses 6 to 13. And so Ruth uh, amazingly begins to put uh, Naomi's plan into action. Um, Boaz finishes eating with his men, and because he's the boss... He finds a different place to sleep than his workers. You know, generally, workers and bosses uh, are separated a little bit. And so Ruth notices where Boaz lies down at the far end of the grain pile. She waits until she can hear the slow, rhythmic breathing that indicates that he's fallen asleep. She creeps over to him. She uncovers his legs, and she lies down next to him. And it's, you know, it's just fraught with you know, sexual tension, But the one thing that's absent is is that neither uh, Ruth nor Boaz is sinning sexually. They're not uh, not sinning here. Um, Ruth is not trying to uh, sleep with Boaz. We'll, We'll see what she's trying to do in a moment. But Ruth is making herself extremely vulnerable. Did you see that? I mean, that's a very risky thing for Ruth to do. I don't know whether you've been here the last few weeks. It's in the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was the worst, one of the worst times in Israel's history. It was a bit like the Wild West in America. You know, if you were in the right place in the right, at the right time, you could still get you know, killed or raped or whatever. And so in the middle of the night, Baz wakes up, because, maybe because he feels his legs are a bit cold. And behold, there's a woman lying at his feet. I mean, that's the, the sense of the Hebrew. Behold, look, yeah, there's a woman. Okay, well. And this is, this is how uh, Boaz um, reacts. He's like, well, you know, who are you? you know, I, I don't quite know who you are in the dark. You know, it's completely pitch black. Who are you who's lying at my feet? And Ruth replies, verse 9. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garments over me, since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, what is actually going on there? Uh, What does she mean by that? Well, the phrase to spread the corner of your garments over someone only appears one other time in the Old Testament. And it appears in Ezekiel chapter 16. And there, in that context, it means uh, to marry someone. Again, if you want to have a look uh, look at that up, do feel free to look that up up later. So what Ruth is doing, she's not going to the Threshold Floor to have sex. She's going through the restroom floor to ask Boaz to marry her. And so she's saying, marry me because according to God's word in the Old Testament, you are our family's guardian redeemer. And that is your duty. We're in dire poverty, myself and my mother-in-law Naomi. Marry us. Well, marry, sorry, marry me. Um, and Christian you know, uh, Chris, Christopher Ash says this, Uh, Ruth is calling in the covenant promises and asking Boaz to honour them, not just by generous gleanings like we saw in Ruth chapter 2, but by marriage. And so how is Boaz going to respond? How is he going to respond to this completely out-of-the-blue offer of marriage? Well, we see his response in verse 10. "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied." This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And again, Boaz's words need a little bit of explanation. Um, For example, what was the earlier kindness he's talking about? And what is the greater kindness? Well, the word kindness is the Hebrew word hased, and it means loving kindness based on an agreement or a covenant. So that, that might be slightly alien to us the, uh, at the moment or, or this evening. But generally, when a man and a woman get married, they're entering into a covenant, into an agreement, saying, uh, you know, I'm committed to you. That's the kind of thing that is being spoken about here. And so the earlier kindness is found in chapter 1, if you want to flip back there, because Naomi tried to persuade Ruth, go back home to Moab, don't come with me, go back home. But Ruth, in chapter 1, verse 16, said, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely, even if if even death separates you and me. And at that point, Ruth was showing Naomi uh, loving kindness, that uh, covenantal loving kindness that says, I'm with you no matter what. I'm for you and I will love you. I will stick with you. Uh, If you die before me, I'm going to stay in the same country and die where you die. And so that's the earlier kindness that Boaz is referring to. And so what is the greater kindness that Ruth is showing? Is it asking him to marry her? Well, to a certain extent, uh, the clue is at the end of verse 10. You have not run after younger men whether rich or poor. And so in that line, Boaz hints that Ruth has had a number of other marriage proposals from the younger men of Bethlehem, but Ruth has turned them down, even the proposals from the rich young men. She's not a gold digger. But, so why did Ruth turn down these other marriage proposals? Why uh, did she choose to marry middle-aged Boaz instead of going after the younger men? Well, the answer is hinted at the very last word of verse 9. Did you see it? Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. You're the guardian redeemer of our family. And this is completely countercultural to us. But Ruth wasn't thinking of herself when she turned down those other marriage proposals from the younger men, she was thinking about Naomi and Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, and, Naomi, sorry, and Ruth's late husband, Marlon. Because Boaz was something that these younger men were not. He was related to Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech, and so was their guardian, Redeemer. And so without a male heir, Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech, would disappear from the list of God's people. And if that happened, it would be as though Elimelech had never belonged to God's people And only if Ruth married Boaz, would Elimelech's name continue. And so Ruth is saying, marry me, Boaz, because she's thinking of Naomi. She's thinking of Elimelech, uh, so that his name continues in the the list of God's people. And so she's showing covenantal loving kindness to Naomi. She could have gone and married one of the, the younger men. She could have done that, but she doesn't. She turns them down because of her covenantal love and kindness to Naomi. She is committed to Naomi and seeing that Elimelech, her dead husband, Naomi's dead husband, his name continues in God's people. And Boaz moves quickly to reassure Ruth. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. What wonderful words from Boaz. Don't be afraid. I'll do, I'll, I will do for you all you ask. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And so Ruth calls in the covenant promises, the old covenant promises, and asking Boaz, her family's guardian redeemer, to marry her. And Boaz honors those covenant promises. He says, yes, I, I will do that. And so Ruth can teach us so much as we learn to trust our redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Because Ruth calls in the covenant promises and Boaz honors them. But the Lord Jesus is 10,000 times the Redeemer and 10,000 times the man that Boaz was. How much more will the Lord Jesus honor the covenant promises he's made to us in the New Testament? And we can find one of those precious uh, covenant promises in Matthew 26. This was Jesus speaking on the night before dying on the cross. As he shares bread and wine, he says, this is my blood... Of the covenants, which is poured out for, uh, out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And in His covenantal loving kindness, the Lord Jesus promised to forgive our sins, because He shed His blood for us on His death on the cross. So there will be times when we experience darkness in Christian life, and th- th- those times because of our sins. For example, our marriage may fall apart due to our sinful behavior and when we feel desperately guilty because of our past some past in our lives then we may feel that God has permanently sat us on the naughty step but trusting Jesus means relying on the covenant promises including that promise to forgive our sins he shed his blood on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven And so someone who is trusting in Jesus' covenantal promise to them may pray something like this. Lord Jesus, you promised to be my redeemer. Uh, You promised to forgive my sins. I've really sinned this time. I've really mucked up. But now please do what you've promised. Please forgive me and wash me and clean me. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that whenever a Christian calls him one of those new testament promises jesus always honors those promises always boaz is just a small picture of what jesus really is like and he will always honor those promises our lord jesus is wonderful and marvelous and you know, trusting jesus means trusting in those covenant covenant promises to us is that something you're doing at the moment? Is that something that you need to do tonight? Maybe you're uh, weighed down by guilt, uh, maybe a sin you've committed this week, or maybe something that's gone on months or years ago. Well, if you turn, like Ruth turned to Boaz, if you turn to the Lord Jesus, he is, he is more likely to, um, to say, I, I will forgive you, than Boaz was to say that I will marry you, because he's so much greater and better than Boaz. Why not, do, why not pray tonight, maybe on the way home, maybe when you get home, pray for forgiveness and trust that he's going to do based on Matthew twenty six twenty eight, because he will. And so third and finally, trusting Jesus involves waiting, verses 14 to 18. So I'm rooting for Boaz and Ruth to get married, aren't you? you know, Boaz is just, you know, Boaz seems an amazing man. Uh, I want Ruth to marry Boaz, but... Uh, there's, a, there's a roadblock, like any good uh, romance, there's a roadblock, verse 12. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of, of your family, of our family, there is another one uh, who's more closely related than I. Um, we don't quite know all the ins and outs of the redeem, uh, guardian redeemer system, but it seems as though um, that there's like an order of preference. So the closer you were to the, the, the husband, uh, the, the, you had the first... The first, you know, the first dibs or the first um, responsibility to be guardian redeemer. And unfortunately, Boaz is second in line. There's someone closely, more closely related uh, to Limelech than Boaz is. And in, in his disappointment, Boaz doesn't try and jump the queue. Instead, he wants to give the man who's first in the queue the option of being Ruth's guardian redeemer. And if he turns it down, then Boaz says, I will marry you. But we've got to go through we've got to honor god in the way that he set things up and so ruth stays at the threshing floor until uh until before daybreak and then returns to naomi and explains everything to naomi and just look at naomi's reaction verse 18 the naomi said wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today and episode three of ruth ends on a cliffhanger will will he or won't he will he marry ruth Won't he marry Ruth? Will the first, will the original guardian redeemer, will he marry her? What will happen? And Naomi and Ruth are left waiting for redemption to come. They're left waiting. They don't know whether Boaz uh, will redeem them. But as Christians, as we trust in our truer and better Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, we too find ourselves in a similar situation to Naomi and Ruth. We too are are waiting for redemption to come. And if you are a Christian, then it's true that you have been redeemed. You know, past tense. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. uh, And and that payment has redeemed you. It's brought you back, brought you into God's family. But there is a sense in which we as Christians are still waiting for our redemption, future tense. Just have a look at uh, these verses from Ephesians chapter 1. And you also are included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and the redemption of those who are God's possession, the praise of His glory. And so, looking at verse 14, what is still future about our redemption? Well, it's we wait for the Lord Jesus to come back and to redeem us from our fallen bodies and this fallen world and bring us. Into our inheritance, you know, into the new creation uh, with God as our Heavenly Father, an eternity in a perfect new creation with perfect new bodies dwelling with God. And that is still future. Um, so, redemption is a bit like when you bid and win something on eBay. You, you might pay the money and the item is yours. You've redeemed it, but there's an option to save on postage. If they're living around the corner or down the road, you can pick it up yourself. So, you arrange with the seller to pick it up and, and drive around. Uh, and bringing the item home is the, is the part of the redemption process. And where, we are that item that Jesus has pe- paid for with his blood, and he's coming back for us, and he's coming back for us to take us home. That is part of redemption. And that's exactly the situation Ruth was in. Did you see that? In verse three? Sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. What did it begin with? It began with the hope of a home for Ruth, and it asks how uh, chapter three ends, doesn't it? Did you see that in verse eighteen? It ends with Ruth waiting for her redeemer to take her home, and trusting in Jesus involves waiting for Him to return and take us home. And some of us will find this waiting for Jesus to redeem us to take us home harder than others. I think it's true to say that a large majority of this congregation is made up of 20-somethings. And generally speaking, life on earth for you, if you're in your 20s, is pretty good. Your bodies are working well. You've got lots of friends. You go, away to, you go to way more weddings than funerals. And your desire for Jesus to return and take you home may be uh, slightly weaker because life is enjoyable. And if that's you, then you may not even think about waiting for Jesus to come and take you home, because you're quite happy here at the moment. Life is going well. But your best day on, in this world is not even comparable to the worst day in the new creation, if you can say there's a worst day in the new creation. And so my sort of Uh, challenge to you is that when the sharp edges of life starts poking through this week, when your boss is unreasonable, when a relationship starts to uh, just really grind and not really work as much as possible, uh, then it's an opportunity to turn and long for the return of the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, to return and take you home where relationships do not break down, where there are no unreasonable bosses. But for some of us who are perhaps a bit longer in the tooth, waiting for Jesus, our our Redeemer, to redeem us and take us home can be a little bit harder. We might long for it more, but it can be harder because we may be uh, grieving the loss of a loved one. That's not necessarily uh, um, something that only older people do, but generally, as you live life, you'll find things uh, happen, more negative things happen to you. Yeah, that loss of a loved one, that kind of pain, never goes away. We may be suffering from a body that is slowly and gradually decaying as age takes its toll. There are some things in this world that time cannot mend. Some hurts that just go too deep and have taken hold. And with pain, uh, uh, with pain, with uh, pain like that, time cannot mend it. And with hurts like that, they run too deep. And so waiting for Jesus, the Redeemer, can both be uh, difficult, but you might long for it even more. Each day is just another opportunity you feel to experience that pain and hurt, maybe a pain and hurt of a degrading body, or a pain and hurt of a, a family situation that is just completely going toxic. But brothers and sisters, that waiting is never wasted. The pain and hurt is only temporary. Our redeemer, the Lord Jesus, will one day return and take us home. And in his healing hands, there is no pain he cannot relieve and no hurt that runs too deep. And isn't that wonderful news? That when Jesus comes back again, there'll be no pain that he cannot heal and no hurt that runs too deep. I read this tweet from American pastor Ray Orland that seemed particularly appropriate for, for this evening. Um, he quotes Isaiah 65, 17, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And this is what he says, maybe after 20 or 30 seconds with Jesus, we'll turn to each other and say, hey, what, what, was, what was it that took us out anyway? Did we call it cancer? War? What the heck was that? But no matter. Here we go. For those of us who are finding waiting difficult at the moments. The Lord Jesus encourages us to lift up our heads to see the future because he's coming back as our redeemer to take us to the new creation. And in the new creation, there will be the healing of all hurts. And so in this waiting time, as we wait between Jesus paying for us and then finally redeeming us and bringing us home, the encouragement is to fix our eyes On the Lord Jesus and the perfect day, and that perfect day, because it will give you strength to wait in the presence, wait for the Lord Jesus in the presence, even though the present might be really painful. And so we began this sermon with a question how do we trust the Lord Jesus through dark times that test our faith, that stretch our faith? Well, trusting in Jesus involves action. It doesn't involve passivity, it involves action. Trusting in Jesus involves relying on his covenant promises. And trusting in Jesus involves waiting. And so as, as a church and as individual Christians, are we going to be trusting Jesus this week as we act and rely and wait for him? I'm going to pray uh, together. So let's uh, close our eyes and pray in response. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how the faith of Ruth and Naomi in Boaz is a model for us as Christians we rejoice that our redeemer is the truer and better Boaz who will never let us down and one day will return to redeem us and take us home father we pray for those of us who are finding waiting for our final redemption difficult father would you please fill those particular people with hope as they think about what Jesus has promised to do to heal them completely From all pain and all hurts and father would that hope keep them going and father for the rest of us help us to keep on setting our 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 spiritual eyes our spiritual vision on the future so that when dark times come uh, we can wait with hope and we pray all these things in jesus name amen